Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love people who love cats and dogs, which is why I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, and the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. Every week, I bring you conversations with experts and authors who share our fascination with the animals in our world. This program originated and continues for the 13th year on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. There is a podcast library with more than 700 previous shows at RadioPetLady.com, along with my other pet talk shows like Cat Chat and Good Dogs. This show is made possible in part with the support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company that makes high-protein recipes for cats and dogs. The show is also brought to you with the generosity of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, a privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. My guests today are Spencer Quinn talking about his newest Chet and Bernie mystery, Tender is the Bite. Annie Sheriffs will be here. She's the editor of Catster, an amazingly wonderful magazine for cat lovers. And Dr. Chris Sink will be here coming back to talk about all the different dog sports you can indulge in. Yes, boys and girls, he is back. Spencer Quinn has yet another Chet and Bernie mystery. Many people write to me and say, hey, isn't there a new Chet and Bernie mystery? I'm like, give the writer a break. But he does keep doing it. Tender is the Bite is the newest one with a big fat quote from, yes, Stephen King on the cover. Peter Abrams, I just think that it's incredible that you do keep writing these delicious, delightful, hilarious, strange, offbeat mysteries with the dog and the man where the dog is much more talkative than the man. And you keep on keeping on. Do you ever wonder and worry, "Uh uh-oh, what if the well runs dry? Um, the well, um, <laughs> the creative I, you know, one, I, Tracy, I don't think about the well. Good. I, I, I try not. It's not even that I try not to, I, I stay out of my own way as that's I so think it's just great. A habit. That, is, that is a huge accomplishment. I'm not kidding for any artistic person to just let it happen and not wonder and worry and question yourself and criticize yourself because the books flow like rivers of delight. So I can see well, that you just you. let it happen. Get into the zone, well, right? Well, sometimes it's better to do nothing. And if I started to think, oh, gee, I, what am I going to do for the next one? Or, you know, what if I don't have the enthusiasm? Right. I, those, you know, I'm wasting neurons if I do that. And, um, and so I just don't, and I'm very lucky in that, okay, there are a couple of things that I'm lucky with with the Chet and Bernie series. So for people who don't know it, these are a classic kind of private eye set up um, detective stories where the sidekick tells the story in the first person, just the same way Dr. Watson tells yes. the Sherlock Holmes story. In this case, Bernie is the Sherlock Holmes, and he's no Sherlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> and, and the sidekick is Chet. And Chet is a dog, but this is the most, if this series works, it's for the following reason. Chet is not a talking dog. 
he's not, he's, he doesn't know anything a dog should know. He's as canine as I could make him. And, but he tells the story. So they're totally in the first person and it's all his perception of their various cases. So one of the things I'm lucky about is I just, I think you kind of alluded to it, Tracy. I just, this voice I love and the river you talk about, I just, when I turn that little faucet Mm -hmm. for Chet's voice, Mm -hmm. Chet's voice is there. I, I, I can't explain it. Uh, and the other thing is they're just cases that keep occurring to me because one of the things I I'm interested in, in, in fiction and crime fiction, especially is if you can squeeze in without being to hitting the reader over the head, thematic material that that as well as a gripping story, and and with suspense, but there's that they're about something, mm-hmm. um, and I try to just slide that in. And I've been very lucky, actually, with some of the later books in the series, to have to find some thematic material that fits perfectly, and and that allows me to kind of struck the story. Then just sort of structures itself. So, so that's the answer. So that's question. a great answer. It's a fabulous answer. And I love you say, if the books work, yeah, okay. This is the 11th book. I think things are working. We know that. And I do literally have listeners who write and say, hey, did you do a Chet and Bernie lately? So you have followers and you have hungry ones with an appetite for what comes next. What would you say if you could say what the thematic, the theme is of Tender is the Bite or the thematic material that, that carried you along? Well, um, it's, it has to do really with politics, a mm-hmm. very strange yes. subject to attack from this point. But, you know, politics gives rise, as we all know, to certain nefarious behaviors Mm-hmm. and has historically going way, way back. Mm-hmm. And there are kind of dark parts of it and hard-edged parts of it that fit very well, I think, with detective fiction. And so that was my entree to it. But there's no hitting over the head, although there is a political rally where a speech is given by a senator and and Chet and Bernie wind up on stage that I particularly enjoy. It's particularly funny. I thought you were going to say the theme maybe had something to do with ferrets, because now they're in this story. And I thought, wow, ferrets as a theme. Good. So yes, politics, which I, I did. Okay, think- the ferret. Okay, Tracy, you're on to something. Okay, the ferret is not the theme. But I thought, okay, Chet, in some of the books, Chet has to deal with it, another kind of creature, another right. species. For example, in To Fetch a Thief, it was an elephant named Peanut. Well, I was thinking, you know, politics, what would be oh, a good right, creature? Right. And I thought, oh, a ferret. Yes. And um, because, you know, they're, they can be kind of vicious. They're, they're pretty smart. They dig, they tunnel, and also they smell bad. So it, it was perfect <laughs> for what I want. To those of you listening who have ferrets as pets, I guess those aren't necessarily the adjectives you would use. But I'm not one who's lining up to add a ferret to my home either. But it was it was a great surprise when there was this purloined ferret, if purloined is the right way, word for it. What I'd love to have you do is read from early on in the book, because I think to anyone who already loves the series, which are Legion people, it's a delight to have you read it. But then to those who don't know it, it gives you a sense of how unique and delightful these books are. And it's true that Chet, as a dog, can't know or understand things beyond what Peter the 
the the author working as Spencer Quinn believes a dog should know, but I think he's somewhere on the spectrum, somewhere between sometimes <laughs> autistic and sometimes Asperger's. This dog never stops <laughs> doing riffs. He's like the guy at the bar. If you sat at a bar, you couldn't get up because he would tell you the one about the one about the one about. He's really he's really quite a character. I've come to love him a lot. So maybe you Thank want to read you. this bit. Yes. Okay. So I think that actually it's a, this will, uh, for people who don't know it, this is pretty early in the book. And I think it's a kind of a pretty good introduction to the two of them, Chet and Bernie. And also, uh, I think the thematic part, uh, comes in here too. So should I, should I begin? Go for it. Okay. Home is our place on Mesquite road, the best street in the Valley, which may be in Arizona, but don't count on that. On either side live the nicest neighbors anyone could ask for, except for our neighbor on the fence side, old man Heydrich. He's not a fan of the nation within the nation, which is what Bernie calls me and my kind, and spends a lot of time watering his bright green lawn, even though Bernie has mentioned the aquifer problem on more than one occasion. On the other side, the driveway side, live Mr. and Mrs. Parsons, a couple even older than old man Heydrich, and maybe not doing too well, and Iggy. Iggy's my best pal the fun we used to have in the days before the electric fence salesman paid them a visit. Their lawn is like ours, the desert kind, or even more so. If you didn't know better, you might think it's nothing but dirt and rocks, but we know better, me and Bernie. The reason I'm going, possibly going on a bit about their yards is that both Mr. Heydrich and Mr. Parsons were standing outside as we drove up, a very unusual situation in the late summer heat. We turned into the driveway and got out of the car. Mr. Heydrich and Mr. Parsons were both both hammering signs into their yards. One red, one blue, or possibly one orange and one green, (laughs) since I can't always be trusted when it comes to colors, according to Bernie. And as they hammered, they exchanged glares and hammered even harder. Oh God, Bernie said in a low voice. We went into the house. Normally after a hard day's work, or even not a hard one, like today, we'd grab a drink first thing bourbon or beer for Bernie and water for me. But now we lingered by the window, me because he was doing it and Bernie for reasons (laughs) of his own. Outside, old man Heydrich and Mr. Parsons hammered and glared, hammered and glared. Then from the Parsons' house came Iggy's amazingly high-pitched yip, yip, yip. I trotted over to the side window and there was Iggy, front paws against the glass of his side window, yipping in fury. I knew exactly what Iggy wanted to do, namely burst out of there and show old man Heydrich what was what. But the Parsonses could never get the electric fence working right. So these days, Iggy stayed inside. Was it up to me as a friend to take care of the old man Heydrich problem? All I had to do was go to the door and Bernie would let me out. I could actually let myself out. Bernie and I had done a lot of work on door opening, and I'd finally mastered the round type knob just the other night while Bernie was sleeping. So he didn't know. Only I knew. What an exciting feeling. I started forming plans for old man Heydrich. But before they took shape, Bernie backed away from the window, shook his head and said, politics, Chet, and the election's not for a whole year. Politics? A new one on me. Was politics the glaring and hammering or the yip, yip, yipping? Or possibly all at once. Glaring, hammering, yip, yip, yipping. Politics sounded alarming. I hurried into the kitchen and lapped up all the water in my bowl. Bernie refilled it and cracked open a beer. He sat down and put his feet up. I lay down and stretched my feet out. We spend a lot of very happy time like that. Oh, God. 
it's funnier when you read it because this dog has a stream of consciousness that's just a hoot and a half. There really are people like that too. But coming from him and his point of view, it's just great. It's like an idiot savant sort of, you know, he can only sort of, it's like one of his eyes is covered. He can't really see the whole picture, but he's telling you everything he sees. I'm just wondering, well, in, in, go ahead. No, please, you. I'm just wondering if in the days of your life, does his voice not continu- continuously yammer at you? It seems to me like, how do you shut him up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's. He's on call when I need him for writing, um, but I don't. It's, it's, okay, so I, I do a lot of bike riding. Um, I mean, not a huge amount of miles, right. but uh, most days the the first thing I do is ride my bike maybe ten or fifteen miles. Wow, and, nice. Uh, oh, and well, I live in a very you know on Cape Cod, and there's a lovely bike trail, and and I ride on the roads too, and I find a lot of ideas come to me just while I'm riding, not, I'm not trying to have ideas. I'm just trying to have fun on the bike, but just out of the blue ideas come. And sometimes I think, Oh, that's a good one for chat, but I don't actually think it out beyond that. Uh, but then when I am re- ready to write the scene that I f- sort of thought up that Chet's, you know, ready to go. And one of the things, you know, I knew the Chet was going to be the narrator, but I, 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 I think you've hinted. I, I didn't know, sort of what a compulsive storyteller <laughs> he, he he was going to be. And, you know, you have to, um, some characters, you know, wander into your stories and, and they can take over the whole shebang if, if you let them. And so I, I really have to watch out for that. I mean, because I'm, tr- I'm telling a detective story with, you know, suspense and action and clues and all that. that yeah. And I, I want the, the reader to get an honest effort for me on that part. Uh, and if so that the Chet part, which actually I don't want that to wag the dog. Let's let's put it that way. Well, it doesn't wag it, but he certainly he certainly inserts himself. So you're, I'm thinking, OK, this is the plot and I'm following the plot. And then and then Chet's got me down some literal rabbit hole carrying on about some side <laughs> conversation. But it's hilarious and weird. And he he's, does wordplay like nobody's business. I say he is if he's an actual thinking, talking dog as opposed to you creating him. But honestly, sometimes I think, could just wait a minute. Let me stick with the story. But he it's like he keeps trying to like pull at my pant leg. Wait, I have something to tell you there's something really strange here I, I just had a strange thought so i was just wondering how often he did that to you pull on your pant leg well he when i'm um actually writing it it it, it just starts happening but what pulls on my pant leg and i think this is true for any writer of fiction is you know you're doing something else and and an idea comes to yes. you yes um out of the blue. And I mean, those are, I mean, there are two, you know, they're the ideas that come to you out of the blue and then the ideas that you have to sort of hunt and peck for. Um, or in, or in the case lucky. of you as a, as a mystery writer, you could, the idea can come to you, but it's a lot of grunt work, hard work. I mean, like, you know, grind out, how do you build a plot and how do you put in clues and how do you pay them off? I mean, you can't cheat people, as you said. And yes. you do a oh, very no, exactly. honest job is- of making a detective mystery. I mean, for all the fun and, and frippery, it's 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 hard work on your part to get yes, that plot. I, like I don't that. want any of that to show. It doesn't. That. I'm just acknowledging it doesn't show at all. Your slip's Good, not because, showing. Yeah. You're I, okay. I just yeah. I, 
I, I want this. These are supposed to be pleasurable experiences. For, oh, they are. They totally are. But the, as a, as a fellow writer, I just always wonder at this dog. He's quite the creation. Read us one more little passage that that does involve the ferret, because I just really want people to understand that tender as the bite is is so delicious and so unusual. So go for it. Okay, and this is a, since I think you just mentioned rabbit hole. I yes. think this 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 will work nicely. <clears throat> A young woman looked out, not Mavis, a fact I noticed only in passing. What caught my attention was the ferret on her shoulder. And I caught his attention, no doubt about that. He showed me his teeth first thing, just like every ferret I'd ever met. I showed him mine. (laughs) You'd have done the same. His tiny eyes burned hot. Would playing a game of some sort get us off to a better start? For example... How about the grabbing the little fella by his collar? A velvet collar, by the way. Velvet being a material I knew well from an incident with a tapestry, best forgotten, and flipping him up to the ceiling game. (laughs) Who doesn't like being flipped up to the ceiling? Although I don't know personally, on account of who could flip the likes of me that high or anywhere at all. Ah, the likes of me. A hundred plus pounder, by the way. Once, I'd flipped a bunny rabbit name of Ursula True, not a ferret, so high that I had time to run over and catch her in midair and flip her up again, the look on her face. So when would be a good time to get things underway with my new ferret buddy? Now, maybe, like right away, this very, I felt Bernie's hand on my back. Not heavy, just there. Perhaps a slight wait before the gaming portion of our visit was the way to go. The joy is in the anticipation, as a safecracker name of Sneaky Keats now sporting an orange jumpsuit, had once explained to us. Well, if, and if that isn't the perfect example of how this dog just spins a yarn out of a yarn out of a yarn and re- refers back to other characters and places and tapestries and jumpsuits, it's heaven. I mean, it's just, it's such, it's really like a roller coaster ride inside this dog's head and taking us up and down so many wonderful highways and byways. You've done an incredible job, again, as Spencer Quinn, the author of these incredible Chet and Bernie mysteries and the newest Tender is the Bite, might possibly be the most juicy and delicious of them all. But those of you that haven't read the previous 10, I'd say you could even start here and go backwards or start at the front and go forwards. But either way, thank (laughs) you, Peter, for the wonderful job you've done. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy. I appreciate it very much. This show is supported in part by Meet Me, a privately owned farm in Virginia that makes raw frozen foods and dehydrated treats for cats and dogs using animals raised on their own farm. This show is also brought to you by Merrick Pet Food, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago where they are still making natural pet food. I am delighted to welcome Annie Sheriffs to the show. She's in charge of Catster which is a magazine, but it wasn't always a magazine. And it's actually a really great magazine, which for me to say that is a lot. It's all about <laughs> educating and supporting people with their cats. And boy, that is a really necessary job in, in a time when people don't really know how to, to get the support they need. Annie, congratulations on on what a beautiful job you do with Catster and your choices of your topics and it, I don't know, places you send people for information and advice. I think it's really wonderful. What is your personal history with kitty cats? My personal history with kitty cats. Um, 
I have been a cat lady since I was about two years old. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> have always had cats in my life um, at, at, at one point or another. Um, luckily, my husband is also a crazy cat guy. Cool. So, you know, convincing him to get cats has never been an issue. Nice. Um, yeah. So just a, a long time, long time cat lady. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know what it is about them. I just, I just love them. Well, I guess that really they're, comes, they're, sorry, they're, you were going to say. Yeah, they're, they're fun to have around. Um, I mainly like them just because they're weird. And I mean, you know, as cats. <laughs> As cats, they're not weird at all. But, you know, if you're not a cat person, what is your cat doing that for? Um, right. So just those, you know, crazy little behaviors they have. Um, I'm always amazed at the totally different personalities among all of my cats and foster kittens and, you know, watching those come out. They're just, they're just fascinating creatures. Oh, so you're that lady with the multiple cats and you foster kittens. Oh, my God. Do you have like a designated kitten bathroom or how do you do that? Um, we have a spare room. Um, usually the only people who stay in there are kittens and my mother-in-law <laughs> when she visits <laughs> the occasional guest, you know? Um, so yeah, depending on how little and scared they are, they usually start out <clears throat> in our small master bathroom. And then once they get used to us and, and get bigger, uh, then they graduate to the kitten room. Um, and I'll, I'll usually, I work from home, so I'll usually just bring them into the office with me. I call them my office assistants. Oh, sweet. So, so this is, this is right an now ongoing devotion on your part. It is. Yeah. And I guess it gives you the empathy to bring up the topics you do in the articles that you write for Catster. I actually had lost touch with Catster and Dogster, but I was somehow there during the infancy when they weren't magazines at all. They were this mm -hmm. strange idea. It's got to be 20 or more years ago. Yeah. A strange idea of an online community. Forget Facebook. Forget these other things that didn't exist yet. It was like, oh, it's going to be an online community of cat lovers, and they were going to, I don't know, fill in the blanks. And at some point, I wrote the, wrote the dog Bible and the cat Bible and became more aware of them because it was kind of a place to interact with cat people. But mm -hmm. that idea, there was, you know, what's interesting to me and to anyone interested in the sort of evolution of technology and technology-based socializing is there was a moment in time, let's call it 20 years ago just to pick a number, a round number, when mm -hmm. there were some really forward-thinking people who tried to create online pet communities. And I would say for the most part, from what I can see, because I was involved with a number of them, Dogster being one and Catster, they failed at that mission, and therefore they failed. So I'd like your thoughts on that, because there were things called pet place and pet thing and paw thing, paw spot. They were places where people could, in theory, share cat sitting duties or dog walking duties or meet up in the dog park or meet up, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, to watch a cat movie. Were you aware yeah. of those then? If you've been a cat lover that long, you must have been aware of them. I was aware of them. I I didn't really participate in them much. I mean, being you know working on on both dog fancy and then cat fancy for longer, um, you know, I kind of had everything I needed right. <laughs> right at my fingertips. You know, so I never really felt the need to 
you know, to use any of those types of platforms. But, but it's interesting as, you know, the internet has unfolded, um, it, it's, and cats have become so huge since the dawn of, of the internet. And I think I've always thought it was because cat people <clears throat> never really had a place that they could go. I, agree I mean, you can't take that. your cat yep. to the dog park. You can't take, well, you could, but you, you can't take your cat shopping with you or to a restaurant. Yep. Um, so that's how so many dog people meet. Uh, so the internet and social media has just been huge for cat lovers because now we have someone to talk to yes. and, uh, you know, commiserate with and share pictures and, and all of that fun stuff. Well, cat, cat fancy and dog fancy, and this was the thing that really surprised me. To your average pet owner, dog or cat, there's no awareness of the magazines, which were the dominant, most powerful and monoliths in, in, in cat breeding and showing and dog breeding mm -hmm. and showing. Those were the magazines that the people in those tiny niches that were, you know, devoted to promoting a breed and doing a better job, making them a, a better version of themselves, be it a Persian mm -hmm. or a, 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 a Sphinx, whatever it might have been. Yeah. But it was, you know, such a tiny niche because as few dog shows as there were, and there really weren't that many in the last decade or two decades, they've fallen off even. And cat shows even less so. I remember once being invited to one, I think it was at the Javits Center, way back when. And I thought, oh, it'll be like Madison Square Garden for dogs. But it was like the third floor and up an escalator. Aww. And it was two rooms. It was two rooms like in a, as if you were going to have like, I don't know, a meeting of young professionals. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is the whole, it was a big deal cat show, but it was such a little deal. So I mm -hmm. didn't even understand how a magazine like Cat Fancy had enough people reading it. And yet, it's become Catster with a completely different outlook. How did mm -hmm. it morph? Did did the whole did it just shrink and shrivel down to nothing cat fancy or did it blossom from what it was into what Catster now is? Yeah, what happened was um you know, Cat and Dog Fancy had been around since the 60s. Yep. Um so I started working on Dog Fancy <clears throat> for I don't know, 6 years. Um and then I moved over to Cat Fancy. Um, and we were aware of the Catster brand. Um, you know, we kind of considered them a competitor, uh, to our websites. And in 2015, uh, Fancy Publications was purchased by a new company. And then we decided to rebrand, but they had also bought the Catster and uh -huh. Dogster websites. So we combined everything. We rebranded to Catster and Dogster. It's still, you know, the same important cat and dog information. Um, but since the company owned both of us, we just morphed them together. Um, so at the beginning, you know, we kind of we kind of split. We used like half of, and we didn't really know that many people from the Catster, from the original Catster team. Right, right. So we worked with them and, and came up with a style um, that, you know, we were all happy with for both the print um, and for the website. And so it, it, I remember somebody once telling me that, you know, Cat Fancy was a great magazine, but it, it was very polite. Oh, yes. Very staid. I mean, very serious. Yes. I mean, the and, people yeah. who breed cats and dogs 
it's called a hobby, but it's their passion. I mean, and they have like three cats they breed or two dogs they breed and their whole mm-hmm. life savings and passion go into it. People who don't understand cat breeders and dog breeders think, oh, that's they shouldn't be doing that. There's so many ra- stray, stray cats and random dogs, but it has nothing right. to do with that. It has to do with this absorption in a particular breed, usually just mm-hmm. one, and wanting to perfect it. Um, which is, yeah. you know, it's a it's a passion, and certainly no cats or dogs are harmed in the doing of that, and nobody loses mm-hmm. out. But to people that right. are into rescue or shelters, they somehow think, oh, those are the enemy. I, that disturbs me a lot. I don't know if it disturbs mm-hmm. you because here you are, you know, you're fostering kittens, and so could somebody who breeds, you know, Manx cats be fostering street kittens. It. it People who love cats love all cats. And the cat show people do all kinds of fundraisers for TNR. And it's really one big happy family. People are not Mm -hmm. at each other's throats so much, are they? Right. I mean, you know, in the end, it's it's about the cats. And so while personally, I don't think I would ever purchase a cat from a breeder, I have no problem with the breeders. I mean – the, the responsible breeders, we're obviously not talking about, you know, puppy mills and, and backyard breeders and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of these people are very passionate about the history of the breed and, you know, keeping that line going yes. for the for the beauty of the breed, not to make a bunch of cats and sell them. Correct. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's and, like, like there's so, waiting lists. Oh, yeah. And, and. As far as rescue, um, you know, there are plenty of purebred rescues, too. That's right. That I've seen Absolutely around. right. Mm-hmm. And they say so, that a third yeah. of cats in, in shelters are purebred as well. Mm-hmm. Often I volunteered at a shelter. I've, oh, I've seen a few. Oh, you would know that. Yeah, and, and some idiot declawed them, and then the cats became bad living companions because they were in pain right. and miserable and freaked out, and their natural claws and paws were mutilated. And so Mm -hmm. there they go winding up in a shelter. But that's a discussion for another day. However, (laughs) Castor does tackle all kinds of issues. I really admire it because you talk about all of the challenges of cat ownership, whether it's Mm -hmm. scratching or out of litter box peeing or, um, you you know, throwing up. there are these people who think, oh, cats just throw up. Well, they don't really. I mean, actually, yeah. it's a sign there's a problem. So exactly. you educate people and and you support them, you know, with kindness and with compassion in being mm-hmm. able to read up on things and get smarter. I think one of the things about being a cat owner, I just think this from having done that live show on Sirius for almost eight years, Cat Chat, is that people are embarrassed and ashamed if they don't know something and they should never be made to feel that way. The thing is they love their cat and they want the best thing for them. And if they didn't know any better about food or about a scratching post or about how many litter boxes you need or what litter to use and so forth mm-hmm. or how to introduce a new cat into the home, they feel they can be made to feel bad. And I think the important thing about a resource like Catster is you're just there for cat people. And it's like a yeah. warm, welcoming, but in but educational space. Right. And that's what we did when when we merged. We we wanted the same information, um, you know, the health and the behavior, but we also wanted to make it a little more a little more fun. Yes. I mean, there are certain topics that are just not fun. <laughs> 
so, but it's more in a, you know, a commiserating tone. Yes, we know, we know what you're going through. We've been through this. Mm -hmm. Here's what you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we changed the style so that all of the articles are written in first person um, because all of our writers are are cat people or, you know, or in between cats, but they know cats. So while they use their own sources, you know, expert sources, obviously, they can tell they can give their own examples of, you know, this is what happened when my cat had hairballs. Yes. Or, um, you know, this is what happened when my cat had surgery. So it's much more, not that cat fancy was preachy, but it's much more, uh, uh, you know, a person-to-person magazine. We understand. And we try to laugh at stuff. Right. I mean, hairballs are gross. <laughs> but they're kind of funny when you get into you know, the nitty gritty of them. Oh God, what did I just step in? You know, that kind of Right. Right. That I th- kind of thing. I think a sense of humor is required for being a cat guardian. Oh, absolutely. Because there absolutely. there are mishaps and there's misunderstandings between the two species, being the humans mm-hmm. and the and the felines. So how do you get more people? How do you how do you go about in this day and age of all the noise and the internet? How do you get people to learn about Catster? I mean, I'm really doing this interview with you because I admire what you're doing and I would love more people to go to your website and and subscribe or learn more or become part of that community, but how do you reach more cat owners because they they need you in my opinion. Yeah. We we had some trouble at first within the in the first couple of years people had no idea that Catster was formerly Cat Fancy so we had put a little a little tagline yes. under the you know under the um the title the magazine title formerly Cat Fancy that <laughs> kind of got smaller and smaller each issue for you know the first That's year cute. that we did it um you know uh, we have a pretty good um, following uh, the website, um, so there's you know always subscription um, announcements and things like that. Um, we'll hand out magazines at trade shows. Oh, nice! That's smart. We'll we'll do stuff on our own. I mean, you know, on my own personal social media. Like, hey, check out this cool article we just did. Or I should um, I want to do more of that. I mean, on my you know professional social media, so that every time you have an article, we share it. I share it because mm-hmm. a lot of the things yeah, you do. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, Dr. Elsie's also does a lot of work with you and a lot of contests and a lot of really cool stuff to engage with cat owners and make them feel wanted and welcome and involved. Yes, we, we definitely love them. we definitely need to give away copies of Catster at the at the Cat Film Festival November seventh mm-hmm. in New That's York. Right. So we will plan on that. I know you're West Coast based, so the likelihood of you coming may be slim. But I just want to say that. This year's Cat Film Festival is the most charming, fun, and delightful I've ever curated. People during mm, COVID made wonderful movies with and about <laughs> their cats. They're just yeah, what else are we gonna do? So wonderful. So mm-hmm. I just want to thank you, Annie, for the work you're doing with Catster and for everything you do on behalf of cat owners. I really think it's great. And anyone who has a friend with a cat. Uh, and you don't know anything about cats, you know, send them to Catster because it's, it's yep, really a wonderful place to go. Thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you very and much. And I look forward to to uh, to collaborating however we can and, and spreading the word about how great kitty cats are. Thanks, Annie. Yes, definitely. Thank you. This show is also brought to you by Evermore Pet Food. 
privately owned by two women who make cooked dog food frozen in pouches shipped directly to your home. The show is also supported by Earth Animal Holistic Pet Wellness Products, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein. I am back with Dr. Christine Zink. You've probably listened, and if you haven't, then I urge you to listen to the interview that I did with her on a previous show. She's a consultant about canine sports medicine. She's board certified in veterinary sports medicine and rehabilitation. She is a passionate believer and doer of dogs in sports, so many sports, and written very cool books. She also has coaching the canine athlete, athlete seminars around the world, but she's written books like Peak Performance, Coaching the Canine Athlete, Dog Health and Nutrition for Dummies, and The Agility Advantage, and co-wrote the book, Jumping from A to Z, Teach Your Dog to Soar. Dr. Chris, thank you for coming back because I love talking to you about spay-neuter and how important that is for the overall, from the cell to the behavior of a dog's wellness. But I want to know more about these incredible sports that you you have a you've put titles on over 150 dogs. That doesn't mean you just did it. You excelled. You won. You were a star. If you were to say to to me, two Weimaraners, or my friend who has a two year old Springer Spaniel, what would be a sport? What what's a good entry level sport? If if one thought I'm going to see if I like competing or trying to do something cool with my dog. Is agility the easiest or the most accessible or just the one we've heard about the most? I think it's the one we've heard about the most. And it's been around a really long time. The very first agility trials were in uh, 1985 in the United States. So it's been around for a long, long time. But as for the one that's the most accessible, I would highly recommend that anyone get involved in nose work or scent work. It's, it, it's called both things. Here's a really interesting study that was done. They tested, you know, you, you know, people that are glass half full people and you have glass half yes. empty people, you know? Yes. And, and so it turns out that dogs can be like that as well. And they can, it's called cognitive bias and they can actually test the cognitive bias in a dog. Is it going to be expecting good things in life? Or is it kind of an Eeyore? Oh, my goodness. And so they absolutely tested this in all different, all kinds. I think it was 35 dogs or so, different breeds, different size dogs and everything. They tested their cognitive bias, okay? So they found some of them were, you know, 100% positive and some were 75% positive and so on. Then what they did was they took the dogs and they had some of them do nose work or scent work. So just searching for scents. And getting rewarded for finding it. Okay. Simple as that. Okay. And they did, and they practiced healing with the other dogs with lots of food rewards for healing. And then they came back and they tested their cognitive bias. The dogs that had been trained in nose work became significantly more positive in their life. I mean, they be, they became wow. more glass half full dogs. And isn't that wonderful That's that you could so give cool. that gift to your dog? Wow. Yeah. Well, okay, I'll give you my experience with tracking because I have these two Weimaraners and one of them has a nose that just takes my breath away. I mean, on her own. She does exactly what, like textbook. She goes side to side and if she's out on the property, I've actually in the snow seen a fox run through the snow and and they don't run in a straight line probably to be a smart fox and not get caught. All I know is that she zigzags. She doesn't see them. It's just later. 
she zigzags in their in their paw prints. So I thought, okay, I should I should do this. Stop being such a lazy dog myself. Teach this dog to do tracking. So I go to a trainer who competes and shows me I have to make all these really fancy liver treats made of some kind of ground up liver, which I never would have needed because Wanda would be happy to track anything, even like, you know, a kernel of corn or not even a thing that you could eat. And you put it in these sort of footstep things. I mean, you know this and you put them in a certain harness so they know they're going to work. And well, it wasn't easy for me because the other dog who had to wait, which was Maisie in the car was, you know, beyond, beyond herself. She couldn't stand it. So it was hard with two dogs. One didn't want to wait. You can't do two at once. And I discovered, oh, you got to do this like a really lot of times and then remove the liver treats and then make a longer distance and then have the dog go out on her own. And then, and then what do you do? So, I mean, to learn that it would have been good for her personality makes me want to do it now because I thought, okay, so if you actually get certified, which is apparently quite complicated, you'll explain what goes into that, then you kind of, I don't know, you register with the state as a volunteer. And then when the cops need to find a lost child or an Alzheimer's old person, they ring you up at, I don't know, three in the morning and say, bring Wanda over and <laughs> let's find the kid. I didn't really never, I'm a dope. Okay. I should have looked into it more. I thought, well, this doesn't sound like it's going to fit my lifestyle. So can you talk about how either tracking or nose work, I guess, maybe another word for tracking, I don't know how people could use that for fun and maybe not even have competition. How, how if I'd known about cognitive bias, I would like, she's a very cheerful girl, but why not fill her glass even fuller? Exactly. So tracking is a, a more complex and longer term uh, use of the nose. But what, what scent work involves is the dog doing a search in a, in a limited area that's usually so there usually be a search of maybe between two and three vehicles. You don't actually go in the vehicles. The scent is just placed on the outside. Okay. And then there will be a scent in an exterior area that might be, you know, 50 by 50 or 100 by 100 as the, as the competition gets, uh, gets uh, more advanced. And then there will be an interior area, just like your house. Uh, and then there will be a series of boxes or other containers like suitcases or whatever, toolboxes or whatever. And, and so there's those four main areas in the scent work competition. AKC also has a buried hide, which is, which is a fifth kind. And wow. so, and basically you, you, you teach your, you know, it's very simple because all you do, there are specific uh, essential oils and the ones that are used in the um, National Association for Scent Work is, are um, clove, birch, and anise. And then um, the AKC adds cypress to that list. And all you do is, you know, you, you put a little bit of that on a Q-tip okay. and you put it in a container and you hide it somewhere in your house with a bunch of food next to it. I'll and you damned. let the dog go find it. At first, the dog goes find, finds the food first, but starts to associate that that odor will give them food. So, so then you wait till they, you know, then after a while, you don't put the food next to the to the odor, but instead you give it to the dog when they find the odor. It's as simple as that, really. Wow. That's the very basis of it. So would, could I have learned this or could I learn it now from one of your books? No, it's not, uh, it's not listed in my books, but there's lots of trainers out there and there are a couple of evolving books that teach you how to do that. Um, uh, there's, it's, it's interesting. There's not that much printed about it yet. Interesting. But, um, you can go on nacsw.net to find out to find lists of trainers for scent work. 
Uh, and then AKC is a little bit later to the game, and they also, I'm sure, have many uh, people that train. They call it, uh, so they call it, AKC calls it scent work, NACSW calls it nose work. So it's two, two the names for the same thing. But this is something that yes. one could find a trainer like you find a regular obedience trainer, work with them maybe a couple of times, and then just practice on your own yep. for a lark. And then Yeah, practice if, around your house. Out in you the know, garden. I hide things in my house and let the dog and out in the garden and then, you know, I'll, I'll buy my car and or I borrow neighbors' cars and, you know, and that and I set out a bunch of boxes from Amazon. I save the smallest boxes. And, you know, uh, just do it that way. It's, it's I'll be darned. Great fun and easy. And you're saying very that rewarding to the dog. Very rewarding to the dog, but also, and you've talked about this before, really changes in a profound way, it deepens your relationship with the dog. You see, I guess, other sides of your dog. You do. And you actually, so it, uh, any of these sports, regardless of which one it is, the delight for us is in the strengthening of our bond with our dogs. It's something that's hard for us to quantify, but we certainly feel it. And we know that actually our hormones like oxytocin are being stimulated as we, which is the mothering hormone that's stimulated when we do these kinds of things with our dogs. And it's also stimulated in our dogs and so, that's what makes us feel good. So, so in other words, if, if you have reluctance to start cause you're lazy or you think, Oh, I won't be good at it or, or Trixie won't be good at it, or I won't find anywhere to do it. If you start, there's a good chance you will have that positive feedback neuro neurological feedback for you and the dog and it will be self rewarding almost to do it almost immediately and it will happen almost immediately wow because it doesn't your dog doesn't have to be really good at this interesting the first time that they find it and you see that they find it and they get the delight of having found it you get you experience that that's so cool. It's sort of funny to imagine it, especially I, I had a cocker spaniel once, Amalfi, who was really a Martian. He was a visitor from another planet. Alfie was never present in the moment. He was always thinking about something that happened yesterday or could happen next year. He was just out of it in a charming way. And I think if I ever saw him do something clever, well, he did know how to play soccer with my golden <laughs> retriever, Roma. He would kick it with his giant furry feet. He would kick it to her with his front feet, sometimes downstairs or down a slopey hill, and she would bring it back to him. So I shouldn't say he was all that dopey, but I think that if I'd seen him do something like this, I would have gone out of my tiny mind, and maybe he would have woken up more, you know, been more like, oh, I did that, because I think it would have surprised both of us. What is barn hunt as as a as a a a, a, cor- a skill barn hunt. Okay, so barn hunt is another nose and scent related game that also improves. I mean, the the stu- study hasn't didn't actually look at barn hunt, but it's using their noses, and so I I can assume it also improves their cognitive bias. And so basically, what you have is you have an area that's probably maybe thirty feet by thirty feet, and there will be all kinds of bales of straw or hay piled up on each other and, and hiding little holes between them and everything. And then the, the judge will hide one or more rats that are in a, they're in a, a vented container, so they can't get hurt, but they'll be hidden in amongst the bales and your dog comes in and has to find them all. And you actually it said is rats. delightful to watch. You did say rats, yes, didn't rats. you? You said rats. Yes, rats. Wow. 
So these might even be pet rats, although this would not be a nice thing to do to your pet rat, but they're safe because nobody well, no, can eat actually, them. It's, it's, but the rats like it. I mean, actually, it's really interesting to watch the rats. They don't mind it at all. They'll walk right into that little, little no tube that they, that they get put into. So, uh, and they're very protected and they're very well cared for, of course. Um, and so, uh, yes, so it, it's, it's I'll to, to recapitulate one of their most basic instincts, right? Yes. And that is to find, yeah. to find prey. And not only a terrier like your Norwich Terrier, but you've also done many of these sports with sport, dogs from the sporting group, the hound group, the working group, the terrier and the herding group. So if I have a border collie or a border collie mix or a cattle dog, whose instinct is not to get rodents. Are you saying that that's still wired, oh, they wired in the DNA? Oh, they love it. They do. Oh, my, my golden retriever will hunt for those darn things till the, till the, till the cows come home. And the cows Absolutely. would actually come home and eat the hay at that point. So the judge, at their discretion, <laughs> tucks these, these protective um, capsules with rats in them in amongst the bales of hay, and you don't know if it's going to be two of them or seven of them well there'll be any so depending on the level at the very novice level there's just one okay at the next level there are two at the next level there are four and then at the highest level there can be anywhere between one and five and you have to go in and find them all and know when your dog is done before a certain time and say my dog is done Wow. That's the hard level. Now, where could we watch these? Where could we get inspired? Is there a YouTube? Is there a, you know, ESPN 47 channel that shows any of these competitions? You know, I bet there's lots of them on YouTube. But what you could do is you could go to their website, which is barnhunt.com. Oh, my Lord. And I'm sure that they have videos there of dogs doing it. And they also have... For sure, they have a schedule calendar that shows them. You could, you know, search on your zip code or whatever and find oh my one goodness. nearby and go watch them on person, in person. That would be really cool. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds fabulous. We just have a little time left, but I want to make sure that since your speciality as a doctor and as a competitor and as someone who loves dogs so much, you want to make sure that these canines are in the best condition they can be, not fat and limber. Is there anything that people, other than please stop feeding so many highly processed carbs and get your dog's weight down by, you know, going a little heavier on protein? Because that's just like provable. Not paleo, nothing trendy, yeah. not the, not the you know, the Atkins diet, but just, you know, not a 100% kibble diet. Get the weight down. But is there anything else, Chris, that people should be doing for their dogs? Do you think you should do massage. Should you do chiropractic as they get older? Um, is there a warm-up that you should do even before you take your dog on a vigorous hike? Is that, is that important? So the most important thing that people should add to their dog's lives by far is an exercise program. And I don't mean taking your dog for walks in the heat and the right. cold and everything, but really, um, to have, you know, to be doing some strength training, you can do it indoors. You can do it in the, while, while you're watching television in the comfort of your own home and uh, just working to working your dog with exercises for the front legs, the rear legs and the core. And if anyone's interested, there's a, uh, I have a series of videos uh, available on my website called Fit for Life. And there's 32 uh, nice. videos on a flash drive. 
that people can order if they're interested. So, um, I, and, and I, it's that important. Um, in fact, going for a walk doesn't really accomplish a lot of a lot of exercise. Spending five minutes in your living room would accomplish much, much more than even taking your dog for a 30-minute walk. So anyone who's short of time or anyone who lives in uh, weather that's not very good, either in the winter right. or the summer, these are it's That's a really good do, point. To, I didn't even realize way. you had those. I really just, I, I didn't know your answer, what your answer would be, but I knew there had to be something you thought was important. It's great that you have those videos. Well, I couldn't pass it up as it really is important. It is, and I'm really glad that I asked, and I'm really glad that you have those available because watching a video is so much better than trying to read a description of what to do. So I will put a link to the Fit for Life videos with the podcast of this show. I thank you so much for inspiring me to try Barn Hunt. I think that is just going to be a hoot and a half. I really do want to try it. I, I can't believe that Wanda will leave the rat in its safety container, but I'm sure they've figured out a way around very determined uh, uh, hunters oh, yeah. <laughs> like her. I'm sure they have. Chris Sink, what you, all the things you do are so great. Your books are wonderful. I'll put links to all of them and hope that people Thank you for will avail me. themselves. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.